Welcome to The Meaning of Life, a teaching series with Pastor Mickey Bryce from Center Stage Church. The Meaning of Life is a 10-part study of the three letters from the book of John. Now, here's Mickey Bryce. We're working our way through our, our podcast. If you're joining us on our podcast, we appreciate your taking the time And uh, we're working through the three epistles of John, the letters. Uh, Today, we actually go to the second one. And we spent multiple weeks on uh, John 1. It's, uh, you know, a number of chapters. Um, And 2 John is very short. So here we go. Um, The message is called of losing something important. Um. Have you ever lost anything important? If your name is Mickey, the answer is every five minutes. So these are so important to me, as is my billfold, my backpack, my phone. They all have these little... Apple things, trackers. If you can't find your phone, that's right, you can't find anything. So I can go to my laptop, I have backup phones. Um, It's kind of cool the technology they have these days for stupid people like me. Um, I'm always losing them. And uh, sometimes I thought, you know, uh, keeping on a big lanyard, that way I won't lose them. And has anybody seen my lanyard? <laughs> so, um, maybe also you remember a TV series called Lost. Uh, for a while it was good, but as the show went on, the people that were lost were the people that watched it. Uh, I couldn't find the plot. It's like they were making it up as they go, talk about being lost. Um, It reminds me a story about what I heard from a guy in the days of the Wild West. His name was Pepe Rodriguez, and he would regularly sneak across the border into Texas to rob a bank, then escape back across into Mexico before he could get caught, okay? The story goes that eventually the Texas lawmen cornered Pepe in a Mexican bar, Since Pepe didn't speak English, they asked the bartender to translate. With guns drawn, they said to the bartender, tell him if he doesn't return the stolen money, we will shoot him dead on the spot. Bartender translated, and Pepe started shaking in fear. In Spanish, Pepe said, tell them the money is in the town well. The loot is hidden in a pouch behind the 17th stone, counting down from the handle. The bartender turned to the rangers and said in English, Pepe is a very brave man. He says you're a bunch of stinking pigs and he's not afraid to die. (laughs) All right. Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh. What a pitiful excuse for a preacher I am. Um, Second John, let's read it together. I'm reading from the ESV, and uh, it goes like this. Until, uh, like John 1, uh, we know exactly who John 1 is addressed to. Uh, we know 
excuse me, unlike John 1, we know exactly who John 2 is addressed to, and that is, it says, a lady. Now, we don't know her name, but John refers to her as the elect lady, and he also writes to her, quote, children. Not sure how many children she has either. There has been over the years discussion about who this lady is. Some think John is writing to a specific church because sometimes churches are referred to as she. Um, And we know from the teaching of Scripture in general that Scripture may have been written to somebody else, but it's written for us as believers. So here we go. To the elder... The elder, that's John, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from the Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So this is a common thread throughout all of John's writing. And this is love, verse 6, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. And now we have some new information. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what we just talked about. In the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for. We'll talk about later what that is. But may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead, and that's in time, and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for John and his uh, ministry and message uh, for us. We are grateful today for the word of God that is pure and true and right and good and authoritative. And Father, we bow before you as our heavenly Father and as our God. We acknowledge that we report to you because we love you. Help us to see the way we should go, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So I want to zero in on one verse here. You can read a lot of this. A lot of this is the same themes we've been talking about throughout the book of 1 John, about loving God and your responsibility and seeing through to the end, etc., etc. But I want to draw your attention to verse 8 today and spend a little bit of time exploring this. Um, It says very simply, watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for. Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for. So we want to learn what that means. 
as well as what it doesn't mean. Okay? Remember this idea today. Losing something important can be avoided. It can. Losing something important in this context. This one's not possible. <laughs> Losing something important in your faith can be avoided. Before any discussion of what can be lost, let us understand fully what can never be lost first. Okay? Because John tells us this. Look at verse 2. The first is truth. Truth can never be lost. It can be walked away from, but still it's always truth. And the second is your salvation, or our salvation as John calls it. The truth of God is what re results in our salvation. When you came to Christ, it's because you responded to the truth of the gospel. God is God. He sent His Son because He loved the world enough to die for us and to pay the price for our sin. And we must there recognize our sin and we must call out to Him and ask for the sacrifice to be applied to our sin bank account, so to speak. Then we begin to walk in faith. And all of this is based on we can read about it and study it and, and systematize what it means in the Word of God. The truth of God results in our salvation. One of the biggest questions that comes up in Christianity, entire denominations have been, um, have been known for this error, and that is this. Can I lose my salvation? I grew up in a denomination that was very, uh, okay, you can. And once I came to Christ and realized that wasn't what the Bible taught, we chose another church, another denomination that preached more specifically the truth of the Bible. And one of those truths is what we call assurance of salvation or eternal security. Not assurance, that's something a little bit different, but eternal security is once you come to Christ, your salvation can never be taken away. Now, there are plenty of examples where it looks like somebody walked away from it. And in my reading, I would have to conclude that that person never really was saved in the first place, rather than they were saved and it got taken away. It's not like your driver's license. In my case, I just lose it. But people can take it away. And then you can't drive anymore. Can't be taken away. Your salvation. We won't spend a lot of time on this question except to say the answer, can my salvation be taken away? The answer is no. Amen. That's it. No. If you believe differently, you're wrong. We love you. <laughs> You're still my friend. That's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches very clearly that uh, salvation cannot be taken away. It does teach that there will be those that walk away from it. But they never had it in the first place. They are pretenders. 
Now, who can tell the difference? It, you can't sometimes. So that's how I look at that. And you may say, well, that's very convenient for you. No, no, no. Uh, we still have to line up our truth with what God's teaching says. And that's how I line it up. I believe, and here's, here's the other thing. Um, I don't think things are true because they're logical. But they are logical because they're true. So here's the, here's the way that, and when I was a young person in Christ, a lot of times, okay, I need to know how this works and why it makes sense. And if it's true that grace is what leads me to my salvation, that God gives that freely, not based on works, lest any man should boast, then how can works take it away, the lack of them? And the answer is it can't. Why could it? It can't. That's one of those New Testament labeled cunningly inspired fables. Because if we can lose it, most of us will. Thank God we can't. And it makes the operative element in my salvation to not be God, but to be me. Such is not the case. Okay? So John's talking about that. This cannot be lost. And John is not saying guard this, not specifically. That one's set. The Holy Spirit is our seal of approval to God. When you become a Christian, your salvation is guaranteed by God for all eternity. Hallelujah. The truth of God is yours as well. Scripture, the Holy Spirit, He is given to you at the moment of salvation and serves to explain God for the rest of your life. Cannot be lost. Legend has it that when Davy Crockett was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, anybody know what um, state? Uh, 1827, a newspaper reporter said, hey, you know, he was a known outdoorsman. Um, have you ever been lost out in the outdoors? Uh, and he'd grown up in the woods, so to speak. It was often on hunting trips for weeks at a time. He thought about the question for a moment. And he said, nope, I've never been lost. I might have been bewildered for a week or two in the hills, but I've never been lost. Okay. Well, your salvation is that way. You might be bewildered for a week or two, but your salvation isn't lost. You did nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to lose it. You can live without it, but you cannot lose it. So let's move to what can be lost. So truth and my salvation cannot be lost. There are some things that can be lost. Let's talk about what those are. They, these are not guarantees for the believer. They are the things that must be guarded, kept, protected at all costs. They must be watched after lest they be lost. These are the things that John is reminding this elect lady and her children about. Let's talk about what they are. He reminds us first that a testimony of love and obedience, a testimony of faith, okay, can be lost. Chief of which is the command to love one another. 
So all through 1 John, we are reminded of love and obedience being the mark of the believer. If you are an authentic believer, then you will love and obey God. I'm not saying it's perfect. There will be times when you sin. But your love and obedience to God will grow for the rest of your life. And you'll fail on occasion, and the Holy Spirit will say, don't be an idiot. Love God. Love His Word. Love your fellow man. And the Holy Spirit is going to help you and help, help you see when you're not loving your fellow man. That's the proper use of the human conscience. Now, the God-given Holy Spirit is sort of an expanded view of the uh, human conscience. This love is the mark of our faith. Not intelligence, not biblical knowledge. Your love is how people will know if you love God, your love for other people. This is why sometimes people get a rap that is unescapable because they forgot that. And they're too busy bossing other Christians or calling out the law when Christ is calling out grace. Now, I'm not saying that the law doesn't matter. The law convicts us for sure. But the law does not save. The law only condemns because we're all guilty. To understand what Christ did is to understand grace. And when you understand that, you understand you have nothing to give God. Nothing. He gave all of it to you. And that in itself, if you understand, if you come face to face with that, it produces humility in the human heart. There's no other alternative. Now, I'm not saying we don't have different ways where I'm not, this has nothing to do with personality. I'm saying it has to do with how we view what our Christianity does and what our first suit of action is, and that is to love. And one of the ways you can play a little helpful game is ask yourself the question, what do people around me think of my loving them? Do they laugh about that? Snicker because they've never seen it? Or do they say, oh, yeah, that person, I believe, loves me. And that doesn't mean everything's kissy-kissy all the time. It just means that the trajectory is one of affection. That's the way you're headed testimony of love and obedience. And all of that can be lost in a moment when you treat somebody poorly. All of that testimony, which is what people see and think of you, can be lost. Because a lot of your testimony, you're not ever even aware that they've seen it. Because they're from a distance. The thing that would grieve me the most of anything I can think of is to bring discredit upon God. And as a pastor for 
300 years. Um, it's always been, I'm, I'm sure that at times I've failed, certain of that. But every time I think in advance of what I should do and how I should conduct myself, what comes to my mind is what, what would honor Christ the most in my behavior, and that is a trajectory of loving people versus straightening them out. That can happen at times. All of that has its place. But here, John is saying it can be lost. Walking in love is the greatest testimony of faith. When we love other people, they will see it because people can see love and sense it. God gets glory in your life for that when you do it. God gets the glory automatically because you're a Christian and you're loving and people feel good about that generally if it's done correctly. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Ha ha, we've, we've heard that before, but it's really very, very true. It only takes one experience, and I've done it, of looking into a disillusioned friend's eyes. It's the most horrible thing I can think of outside of something, somebody dying that I love or something like that, is looking in somebody's eyes and realize that I have discredited somehow my faith and my love for that person, and I've made a terrible mistake, and I've had to eat crow a few times, and I'm sure you have, but that's what he's talking about here. Um, the second thing that can be lost is assurance. So what is assurance? Assurance is me knowing that I'm saved. Me knowing. Remember what he wrote? I write to you that who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Those that know they have eternal life have assurance of faith. That's a theological term. It means I know. I know I'm a Christian. And so if something goes wrong, I know that I can fix that through God's help, because A, I should want to, and B, He's faithful to forgive and to cleanse and all of that. But my assurance is something really important, because when I have it, I can be bold. And when I don't have it, I live a life of guilt trips and sidetracks. And we've all been there. What is it that happens when we don't Remember that God loves us and we're saved. We start trying to do good things to earn God's affection, falsely thinking that this will lead to a renewed relationship with Him, and it doesn't. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Why do we keep doing that? Because it's the lie of Satan. You look around the world, here's what Christians are realizing. This is related. There are things being said and done about other people that are exposing Satan as the author of such evil. Look around and read what's being said. And the same thing is true when God's Word is followed. When you have assurance, what you do is not sidetracked with, oh, I've got to earn something that's already mine. And when we try to earn it 
Satan gets a victory in part because we forget God gave it to Telestai. It is finished. It's done. The battle's over. This is a different, this is a tactical battle. The strategic part, which is the eventual part, is done. Again, another huge encouragement to God's people worldwide. We know the end of this war, if it's a war. We know how this story ends. Hallelujah. It's good for God. God shows up. He always shows up. And we don't have to sit around and worry, oh, is God going to show up? Of course he's going to show up. What we have to worry about is not losing these things. And one of them is your assurance. The fact that you know that you are a believer. All right. One simply begins on occasion to believe the lies of Satan that you're not worth it. Don't ever believe that. To believe that God cannot love you when you're disobedient. He loves you harder when you're disobedient. He doesn't love what you did. But just like when one of your kids might disobey you, you love them harder because you were seeking them. Seeking that affection to you because it leads to obedience, which leads to protection. And every kid needs that. And we're the kids here. God's the Father. And we need to be protected, not try to be in charge every minute. Assurance is the belief that we are saved by His grace and according to Scripture, kept by His grace. So often we think, I'm saved by grace, but I, now I have to earn it to prove to God that His sacrifice was not in vain. No, 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 no. What did he say last week? That's right. Kept by His grace too. He didn't keep loving us because of our obedience. He loved us first when we were far away from Him. How could it be any harder than that? It has nothing to do with... Nothing has ever been hard for God. God wills it and it is done. His will is eternal. It's unmatched. It's unconquerable. It's immutable. There's no, oh, maybe God will do it. That's foolish. Assurance is the stated purpose of 1 John so that you can know that you have eternal life. It's just like right out there. I write this to you so you can be assured of your faith. Because why? Assured people are powerful. They are successful in the spiritual life. They learn to love. They learn to pray. They learn to trust. They learn to give away. They learn to whatever it is God wants them to do. They learn it because they know that they're His. Just like, how many of you have ever doubted that your parents, now this may be the case with some where you were in a situation which was unusual, but for those of you that grew up in traditional parental situation. How many of you at age six started wondering if your parents were your parents? 
No kid really ever does that, do they? I'm sure my parents wondered if I was theirs. But <laughs> no, not really. God bless them both. <laughs> um, but what <laughs> the other? Um, so this is the stated purpose of 1 John. If Satan can bring doubt into your life about that, victory over sin in your life is negated and you're like set back. And Satan has the victory. Okay, that's why assurance is important. So testimony of love and obedience. And I'm not just saying the love and obedience, the testimony of it. We don't do it to be known, but God knows. And other people will know the way you conduct your life. It will be seen. And that is a testimony, whatever it is. That's the first. That can be lost. You can void that. It's gained over a lifetime of trust, and it's lost in a second. And it's hard to get back. Anybody who's ever broken a relationship on purpose understands that. Very difficult the second time around because there's always that doubt. All right. Third, joy and zeal. And I would draw you to Psalm 51, 12 and Romans 12, 11. Let's read both of those. Um, psalm 51 is a psalm of David. Uh, he is confessing his sin, and he's talking about what happens when he confesses his sin and asks for God to restore to me the joy of my salvation, of your salvation. What does it say? My, let's see. Joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. So to have something restored presumes that you've lost it. And the losing of that is what we're talking about. David had lost the joy of his salvation. In other words, he forgot or he voided it. And so it wasn't a very happy time for him because of his sin. And what he longed for was for God to put, put back in his life... The, the joy, which is a deep sense of gladness of what God had done for him. The joy of his salvation. And that's what John is saying can be lost. Joy and zeal. Look briefly at Romans 12. Um, Romans 12 is about being a living sacrifice. Verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal which means lazy. In other words, don't be lazy in zealousness or uh, concern for seeing it through, that sort of thing. Because if you are, you're going to lose your joy and you're going to lose your zeal. The zeal is the joy and the attention and the energy to be God's person. And you can lose all that, and all of a sudden you wake up one day and just doesn't seem like anything's worth it, because nobody likes me anymore. Yeah. And that may very well be true. Well, quit acting like an idiot. Or just being given over to sin. Quit, quit being such a contradiction in terms of faith. Maybe try to figure out how you can get some of this stuff right instead of getting it always wrong. 
And maybe, just maybe, what I heard at church might be true, which is all of it's going to happen when I study the Word of God, when I pray, and when I put myself with Christians rather than people that hate God. Maybe something might happen to me and I wouldn't be such a contradiction to my people I'm trying to witness to, or maybe I don't even care about witnessing to them, but I should. Joy and zeal. Those can be lost. You can lose your joy and lose your zeal. And I'm not talking about external things that depress you, something that's temporary, that's emotional. Those things are difficult too. I'm talking about what happens when we sin. We guard our life against sin because if we don't, we will lose these things. And you don't want to lose them because you're powerless without them. All you do is want to go cover up. Everybody's been depressed. If you haven't, thank God for you. But at times in my life when I was depressed, all I wanted to do is lay down in the bed, pull the covers up over my head. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't like anybody. And generally, I like almost everybody. Almost. Philadelphia Eagles, not so much. Anyone who has walked with the Lord for any period of time has understood an occasional loss of zeal and, and joy. Yep. Um, usually it's because we've neglected time with the Lord. And we think that thinking about God is the same as meditating on his word. It's not. Uh, it, it, his word needs to be rehearsed and recounted and celebrated and thought about. And that's just his word. The presence of God himself is worship. That's what it is. Sometimes we experience a time of great disappointment or sorrow. I experienced one of those in the passing of my mom earlier in the year. It was difficult. Um, and during that time, I had any number of distractions of things I stopped caring about for a brief period of time because that's the way grief is, and yet you move through it, thank God. And on the other side is a testimony which I have today, that it's okay when people die that know the Lord. It's okay. Even when you love them. Now, it's not okay in the sense you don't miss them. But these are things that believers understand, and no one else understands it because we see all this stuff, this fear of dying in our world. That We saw that in spades during COVID. The worst thing that could happen would be for somebody to die. Now that sounds kind of strange to say that isn't true. But it's not the worst thing. The worst thing is not to die with COVID. The worst thing is to die without Christ. Well, I'll leave that where it is. Sometimes in the process of falling away from the Lord... We lose this joy and zeal, and it's because we fell prey to sinful behavior, thought life, whatever it might be, actions. Catch yourself. If you want to know where you're failing God, 
ask him, guess what? That's the Holy Spirit's job. Don't make up stuff. If you're not hearing it from the Holy Spirit, maybe you didn't do that. Maybe you just need to move on. It's false guilt because there is such a thing. But for the most part, when we're feeling guilty, it's because we is. Okay? And maybe you don't know why or whatever. God can show you all that. God can fix all this. But guess what? It doesn't just happen. You have to ask him. You have to talk to him. You may have to plead with him because he wants you to grapple with day-to-day trusting him. Any of that's possible. Do it. We should do it. We must do it. If, if I were your parent, I would say, hey, kids, you got to do this. This is the way a relationship with God works. You are the victor in this. It's for you. Why would you not do it? Well, I don't want to. Don't be an idiot. I would tell my kids, are you crazy? Are you, you're going to ignore this? Why? Because I'm lazy. Don't be lazy. Watch me. How about you, Dad? Don't, you don't be lazy. Okay, well, then I, <laughs> okay, let's do it together. And you learn what it's like. One day we find ourselves without joy or without zeal and we lost something important. And this, we've referred to it already, but this is what happened to King David when he sinned with Bathsheba. And he murdered oh, Uriah. I believe it was Uriah's his name. In other words, he lost the joy and he wanted to get it back. And he said, God, please restore to me I really want this back because my life was good when I had that. And now it really sucks. It's terrible. Paul told a Roman Christian to never lack in zeal, spiritual fervor. Most of the time when you meet somebody with zeal, it makes you uncomfortable because they have more zeal than you do. That's how you recognize it. And you go, oh, it's a heretic, or at least a fanatic. And you know the definition of fanatic, somebody that's more interested in God than you. It can be. That's why we think, oh, I'm scared of that because I don't want to do it. That's different from recognizing that I shouldn't do it. I know that I should, but I still don't want to. Why? Because I'm selfish. How do I stay faithful to who I am as a Christian and do what God has called me to do? So that's the implication here is these things we can lose, how do we keep from losing them? What is the recipe or the projection for behavior? What can I offer you today that might help you not lose your zeal, your joy, your understanding, your assurance, and so on. Okay. Um, First, I, you, must cultivate your relationship with Christ. Just like, how many of you garden? Two? Three? Are you kidding me? Four? Wow. I'm not coming to your house if we have a pandemic. I mean, I am coming to your house. Um, Cultivating is uh, 
So here's how cultivating works. I go home, I decide I need to cultivate tomatoes. I go out there and I cultivate them. And after I'm finished, they grow, right? No. You cultivate them how often? Yeah. Every day. That's why people don't want to do it. And it's okay if you don't want to grow tomatoes. I grow tomatoes at fries. I cultivate, never mind. Um, but cultivation is not just attention, it's tension over time. And it's not the attention that throws us, it's the repetitive nature and the overtime part, because we think, like all of us ADD kids grew up, grown up, we can just do it and it's done. No, no, no. People don't work that way. Cultivation doesn't work. Spiritual growth doesn't happen. It's over time. Long time sometimes. Martin Luther said this, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, I still have. Think about that. Cultivating any relationship is important. Chances are the ones that you have that are precious to you, you have them because you cultivated them. Now, it might have been self-interest in the beginning, but any marriage that is successful over time has had weathered lots of storms. When I stand before people and marry them, I tell them that. It happens over time. The joy and the happiness you feel today will be overshadowed one day by how, and these are not the quotes, so don't quote me about my marriage ceremony, but in general, it becomes hard over time because there is friction. And there's where you learn if you really love somebody. Okay? Same thing with God. Cultivation over time. You have to spend time together, develop interests with a person. You give of yourself and you learn what the other person is like. We all know how it works. We don't like to do it sometimes because we really don't like the person that much. Well, that's because we're a little too busy trying to figure out how somebody can give us something rather than looking at that person as a God-given place in their life that they're there so that you can give something to them rather than you taking something from them. Spending time together with God is praying. It's not just thinking about God. It's praying. It's talking to God. It's not just driving down the road and being glad that you're a Christian. That's not prayer. It may be good, Talking is having a conversation with God in which you say things and you voice things and you cry and you're happy and you're afraid and whatever it is you are, you, you articulate it to Him because sometimes the thing you articulate, you were kind of surprised that you said that to God because you weren't quite sure that's how you felt till you articulated it. How often does that happen in a relationship? We quite often, I don't realize something's as true as it is until I say it to somebody. 
Spending time together means praying. Um, Cultivating a relationship with Jesus is about living for the things that are eternal, like a new truck. Yeah, we all need a new truck, don't we? That's what I ask God for. How do you think that's going? Not too good. When I ask God for an opportunity to be faithful on Sunday morning, preaching His Word, do you think He wants to answer that question? Yeah. Is He going to be faithful to speak through me if I put myself at His disposal? Yeah. I think. I hope. Same thing with you, our teachers, our people that pray for one another, all of that stuff. The Christian life in faithfulness honors God, and it cultivates your relationship with Christ. And when you cultivate that relationship, you're reinforcing all the truth, 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 so that when the day comes, the storm doesn't blow you away. It's good. Second thing, so you cultivate your relationship. That's based on talking, praying, whatever, being a human with God as humans talk, talk to God. Second, growing in your knowledge. And this is not emotion. This is knowledge. I need to grow in how much I know about God. How does that happen? Primarily, it happens by interaction with this book. Not completely, but what you know about God starts here. How does it start specifically? Reading it. Thinking about it. In other words, meditating on it. Memorizing it. Studying it, which means look at the history, look who wrote it, what is the context, what time period, who are the other characters, what is he trying to say, who's the audience. All of that stuff reveals the truth about our God. What is his story? We spent the whole summer talking about his story. Do you remember any of that? I hope you do. If not, It's right there waiting for you. And the more you learn about God, the more information you have, which is true, that you can put in the bank. Why do you put it in the bank? Because the day comes where you're going to need it. The day comes when your child dies, or your parent dies, or your spouse dies or you lose your job, or somebody betrays you, or something, or our country gets taken over, or something. And you're going to wish when your Bible is taken away from you, if that were ever to happen, that you had done what he asked, which was to hide his word in your heart. Nobody does that like they should, I would imagine. But my attempt to be sobering reminder of the times that we live in is there's no time to mess around anymore, I don't think. So why should we? All right, let's just let's be grown-ups here and let's ask the Lord to make out of us really good, dependable Christians.
for the rest of our life. Wouldn't that be something? Wow. Let's ask him to help us be good examples to our families. To the people in Gold Canyon, in Apache Junction, Mesa, to the people we know outside of here, to the whatever employment you have, or whoever God puts you in touch with, let's be the people where when they think of you or me, they think of Christ. Period. Well, that starts with growing in your knowledge with Him. Proverbs 18 says, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge. And the ear of the wise seeks knowledge, not just passion. That's the zeal part. Now we're talking about knowledge. Growing in grace and knowledge. What do I know about God that's true and I will never not know it? Proverbs 24 also says, A wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his power. Good power. His might. His might to handle life when it throws anything at you. And my fear is, but also my anticipation, is it is entirely possible that in the years that any of us have left, there are going to be things thrown at you that have never been thrown at you in your whole life. Never. Not even close. I hope not. But the trajectory of where this thing is going in our world is not good. And the trajectory of where our country is is not good at all. So, grow in my knowledge of Him. Lastly, this is the hardest one. When you have that knowledge of Him, when you're spending time cultivating a relationship, at some point God's going to say, do this. Some things He says and they go to all of us. All of you do this. That's right and wrong. Other things He says, don't become an architect, become a pastor. That's just for me. That's God's will for my life. Your life might be different. Um, all of us have things that we've heard God say. Some of them are slight and nuanced, and other things are pretty uh, stark. You will never lose your testimony when you're obeying God. Never. You lose your testimony because of sin. You will never lose your zeal when you're obeying God. In fact, it grows. You, obey, you lose your zeal because of sin. Doing what He asks you to do is the final measure of self-protection. Look at it this way. There's a reason a parent tells a child, Don't touch that! I said don't do that! Why is that? Because they shouldn't. 
What happens if they do? Their finger gets cut off. They can never play the violin or it burns or whatever the thing is. There's a reason parents go, no! <gasps> and yet when God does that, no, oh, don't try to be so harsh and cruel. Well, maybe it's for your own stinking good. My own stinking good. I take back the word stinking. Doing what he asks you to do is the final measure of protection. It is the proof of your heart. So, okay, think about yourself. Don't go around thinking about everybody else. I mean, you can because you can discern other people's lives too. It might give you direction how to deal with them. But right now, this is to you. How am I doing? How am I doing obeying? He says... Whoever abides in the teaching, that is the teaching of Christ, has both the Father and the Son. And you can go into what the teaching is by reading all what the teaching was. So I want to give you an example of obedience being the key. And comparing it to what people say they think about God, and they aren't willing to go all the way to obedience. If I yell up to you in the middle of the night, hey, your house is on fire over there. Here's what I don't want you to do. Oh, thank you, thank you so much, honey. Let's go back to sleep. Isn't that absurd? But does that sound familiar? Don't do that, Mickey. And yet I say, oh God, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I keep doing it. Why? Because I like that. If I yell up to you in the middle of the night, your house is on fire, do not want you to sing praises to me or tell me how much you love and trust me and go back to sleep. I know you trust me when I see you run out. with a kid under each arm. I know you trust me when you obey me. That's the way God looks at us. So, all right. Got it? Matthew 7 says this, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine, that's the word of God, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And when the rain came and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So, short answer is build your house on the rock. It's going to last. Cultivate your relationship with Christ. Know more about Him. Spend time with Him. And lastly, obey Him when you get a command issued to you. And you will hang on to everything good. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for these words. Uh, they're kind of scary, Lord, because if we do them, we become unstoppable in faith. And that's terrifying sometimes to us because we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. We're too busy pursuing all these things of the world. 
So help us to see all this clearly, Lord. Help us to humble ourselves before you. To you know, It's easy to stand up here and say, here's the thing, baby. But it's hard to go do it. It's really hard. And it's hard even the first time, but it's super hard to keep doing it. But that's what you said do. So, okay, let's give it a shot. Why not? Would you bless us with a new knowledge of your will for our lives? Would you help us to be leaders and soldiers and patriots and evangelists and whatever is needed around us, God? Would you make out of us that so that people can know you, the power of your resurrection, the wonderful uh, assurance of your love that is given to us in Christ. Thank you for all that today. We continue to pray for Israel and for our world. Even so, Lord, quickly come. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us for the next lesson in this Center Stage teaching series and tell a friend about the Meaning of Life podcast. For more information about Center Stage Church in Gold Canyon, Arizona, visit centerstagechurch.org. Thank you.